everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited to have you tuned in today for our guest episode. I am Jay Gallegos. And before I present our special guest today, let me remind you, our goal together is to get one step closer and further along in becoming who God has intended us to be one step at a time so you can be effective and make an impact in every area of your life. And while I had a fantastic conversation with student pastor of Victory Worship Center, Timothy Simino, and we got to talk about life and ministry and more specifically the missions field, how it impacts young people in the mission field and his life, his testimony specifically. And we had a tremendous conversation. And before we jump into that, thank you so much. If you have already subscribed to the podcast, if you have taken the time to share it on social media, I really appreciate the support. It truly means so much to me and it really helps to get the podcast out in front of others so they can benefit from the content and learn and grow along with us. And we welcome everyone to come and join and be a part of the community. Go ahead and subscribe on your favorite platform. We want to help and inspire as many as we possibly can, and we welcome them in to come and learn and grow together with us. If you are new with us, we post a new episode bi-weekly, a teaching the first Friday of every month, followed by a guest episode. And today I'm excited to bring to you the amazing conversation I had with Timothy Simino. He is the secretary for the UPCI's South Texas Youth Ministry. He is an inspiring and very influential leader. He and his wife, Hannah, along with her three wonderful girls, assist in leading Victory Worship Center under the senior leadership of Pastor Tremaine and Vicki Simino. So today it is a pleasure to invite you into my conversation with none other than Timothy Simino. Brother Timothy Simino, it's so good to have you on the podcast. We've been looking forward to speaking with you. Thank you for accepting and being part of uh, this project and being part of this platform. And welcome to the podcast. Yes, sir, man. I'm super excited about it. Thank you for the invite and just happy to be here today. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to speaking with you. We we just had you uh, recently at our church speaking at our worship night. That was a phenomenal message that you shared with us. I know the young people left from there very, very blessed. I heard a lot of, lot of great feedback afterwards, and I know the young people were very blessed by that message, and thank you for being with us as well that night. Well, glory to God. I'm happy to, happy to have been with y'all, happy to make connections. So. Got some connections within your church, but I've never met you personally. I'm very, very thankful to make that connection and, and start this new friendship. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise, I, f- I feel the same sentiment there. So uh, I'm very I admire your, your leadership. I admire the way that um, the way that God uses you with with young people. I, I had the opportunity of seeing you preach before and sharing a message with the young people within uh, the district. And that was a tremendous blessing as well. And I know that you're a man of God. You're a family man. Uh, you're very, very tremendously blessed. And I, you, you have your, your hands full with three beautiful girls. Is that correct? Yeah, yes. Three girls, uh, 13, 9, and 15 months. Uh, just, just an absolute handful. But uh, I'm very, very blessed. Very, very thankful that God somehow saw me fit to be able to lead this awesome family. Absolutely. And um, that is, I would see that challenging because coming from my point of view, I have two boys, um, 10 and five, but three girls, bro. I, I, I don't know what I would do, honestly. <laughs> I commend you for that. I commend you for that. A lot of drama, but it's awesome. <laughs> I'm sure there is. I'm sure it's a lot of fun as well. Oh yeah. So, when, when we, we look at your leadership and we look at young people today and how times have changed, you know, I want to I talk a little bit also about, you know, life in, in the mission field. And I know your parents and your family were, were called to the mission field in Africa for 20 plus years. But before we get into any of that, I'd like to kind of break down a little bit more about you and um, your leadership and there's just so many questions that come to young people, especially that are probably going into some type of ministry, developing some type of uh, leadership skill, and so many things that you could probably share to help them develop into that. So I'd like to start here. When did you know that you were called to leadership? Because leadership is so broad, you know, not necessarily just youth ministry, but just when did you realize that there was a call to leadership on your life? 
I never had the experience that some preachers, pastors, leaders, and in different areas of of the kingdom, I never had the experience where I was at an altar, at a youth camp, or at an amazing service, or at a prayer meeting, where I felt, you know, a strike of lightning, and and God in that moment called me to ministry, called me to leadership. Uh, I can honestly say that I've never had that moment. I've just always felt the responsibility of leading others to Christ, because I was blessed to be in a home where my parents were leading me in such an incredible way. So as as a missionary kid growing up in Southern Africa, I can remember being seven, eight, nine years old, um, already asking, hey, can I help teach Sunday school? Can I help do a children's service? Can I help in some way do a children's revival or, or anything that we were doing? Um, and it wasn't because I felt called, and it certainly wasn't because I felt equipped or or adequate to be able to do it. Um, I just knew that God had something for everyone because God had something for me. Um, And I'm thankful that I had parents who put that inside of me that uh, we're all called in some way, whether we do or do not have that moment at the altar where we feel God's audible voice calling us. We're all called in some sort of way to lead someone to Christ. Maybe it's just our family or maybe it's masses of people, but we're all called in some way to lead. Yeah, that's very interesting. Eight, nine years old, and you were seeking to teach. So that that must be a natural given gift and talent to just teach and, and, and just to give away. And that had to have been influenced by what you were seeing in the environment that you were putting with your family. That's tremendous. And I love that. Were you given the opportunity that early? I'm sure that it was not very good, but I certainly was given the opportunity to help teach uh, on the direction of my mom, my dad, and and others that were helping us there. Um, I was given the opportunity to give testimony, to give devotions, whatever it is, um, and I'm I'm just extremely thankful for that. Um, I think that has shaped me the most is that I was given opportunity, even if it even if it was limited at a young age, to be a part of something. Um, so I'm sure it wasn't very good, but I know and I have memories of doing it. And that is uh, very formative in my walk with God. Absolutely. That's tremendous. And whether it's good or not, I think that's besides the point. I think whoever was listening to your testimony then, I'm sure that was an inspiration to their life. And and, and it's even now, like whenever you're in a church service and you see the kids ministry walk up and and they do something special and they do something that is uh, aspiring towards ministry and in that direction. And that blesses even the entire congregation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So here recently I was asked a very interesting question that made me really ponder even after the meeting. Uh, I, I was asked, what are you learning right now? And that made me uh, look inward quite a bit and analyze a lot of what I was actually learning that I had not really given credit to. So I want to ask you that, if you allow me, what have you uh, learned recently about yourself or are currently learning about yourself through either, either looking inward or through a specific resource that has improved your leadership? So I had a conversation with a youth pastor that I really, really trust and respect several months ago. And I was kind of venting about a problem that we were having in our local youth ministry, or or not a problem, but a challenge that we were facing in our our local youth ministry. And he said, he made a statement to me that at first I really did not agree with and and really didn't understand what he meant. But then as I began to, as I began to pray, and as I began to kind of seek God's face for that specific challenge that we were facing, it began to make a little bit more sense to me. The statement that he made was, do for some what you wish you could do for all. Mm-hmm. And the the my first instinct was, well, that means I'm ignoring somebody because if I am only doing it for some, I'm making the choice to exclude this group of people. But really more what he meant in the moment and, and what I take it to mean as today and how I kind of use it in my, in my ministry is when Jesus was calling disciples, he called more than just the 12. He called multiple people. There were some that were just unable or unwilling to lay down their life to go and follow him. But Jesus, those that were with him, Jesus poured into their lives in such an incredible way. Those three years of ministry, as he was walking the earth, he poured into their life in such an amazing way. And I think that's more what my friend was, was trying to instill in me was do for some, what you wish you could do for all of, if you've got someone who is 
trying to be used or trying to be made better or trying to have a have a more intimate walk with God, do everything you can do for that person, wishing that you could do it for everybody, but not everybody is willing to have the commitment that that one person has right now. And we're trying to invite them and we're trying to make them comfortable and we're trying to bring them in. But the reality is not everyone will have the same commitment. Not everyone will have the same level of commitment. So those that are committed, those that are really trying to make a change in their life, man, pour everything you can into them while loving everybody and inviting everybody in. Do for those some what you wish you could do for all. That has really changed the way that I do youth ministry. It's really changed the way that I've, you know, kind of seen my local church of, man, I love everybody and I want I want to be a, a help and a brother and a friend to everybody. But the reality is there's there's really only going to be some that Timothy Simino, me personally, can truly pour into and to help because I'm limited. I, I have I have a limited amount of, of resource that I could give, but God wants to help all. So he's just called me to do for some what I wish I could do for all. Man, that is so profound. And there is so much there that we could really break down. Because if you think about it, normally right now, the way that life is, the way that everything's so fast paced, everything is, is measured around some type of metrics or everything's measured towards a level of performance where you reflect back in hindsight and, well, did that perform well? Did that, did we reach the numbers or did we, did we get the fruit that we were looking for? And when you analyze exactly what you were just breaking down there, do you think that it kind of takes away some of the pressure when you actually grasp that thought and you apply it and you live by it? It takes off the pressure from really the expectations of the metrics and the performance-based mentality? Yeah. So when we're, when we're setting up for an event or, or setting up for, when I'm studying for a sermon the, or, the, or a devotion series, God will kind of put some of those few, right? Some of those some on yeah. my heart in my mind. And I, I'm more focused on, okay, how can I, how can I help this, this person or how can I help these people in a way that is still inviting to everyone this sermon this devotion this event is for everyone but but god what do you want to see in this person or or in these people's life what what is it that you want to see and and how can i be a help on that journey and that is really taking the pressure like you were saying away of every message having to be friday night of naYC i i used to feel that pressure i used to walk away from the pulpit so discouraged because obviously that's I'm not, I'm never going to preach a Friday night of NAYC. Yeah. So I used yeah. to have this, you know, this so discouraged that I didn't preach that type of message. Mm. But then the Lord kind of checked me throughout this journey as I'm, you know, do for some what you wish you could do for all of, Hey, God is calling me to have a relationship with the people that he's blessed me to be able to lead. Just like he had a relationship with his disciples. He wanted to help everybody. He fed the 5,000. He, he did everything that he could do, but he had a relationship with some. He wished he could do it for all, but he had a relationship with some. And that has completely changed how I view that. And like you were saying, it's, it's taken some pressure off of, off of me because I know I have a clearer picture of what my goal is every time I step into an area of ministry. Man, I love that. And I think that is so is such profound and I think is very timely advice for even young ministers and young preachers now, whether in youth ministry or young evangelists that are barely getting their feet on the ground and getting going with their experience, simply because it, it comes with maturity. And I think over time, that's one of the things, and you may agree with me, you can input on this for sure. But over time, I, I think that the experience and the maturity just kind of kind of brings that together because I have learned over time as well. And I relate to what you were saying with, you're not going to always have the same reaction after you share a message. You're not always going to have, it's, it's, it's different every time. And sometimes you just have to realize that if they didn't re react after the message, sometimes they're still chewing that on the way home. Would you, yep. would you agree there? Oh yeah. There's, there's been times in, in, and I'll speak a lot on this podcast about, you know, just my perspective from local youth ministry. I like to do series a lot at my church and I'll be given a devotion series. And it's like, man, we're on week three and I'm still worried that they're not getting the main point. And then I'll have a conversation weeks later, weeks later after the series is over. I'll have a conversation with a young person, you know, about a challenge that they're facing. 
and they'll bring up a specific scripture and a specific thought from that series. And they're like, you know, like you said last December where, you know, you know, this, this, and that. And it's like, okay, I didn't even know you were listening because wow. <laughs> I wasn't getting that I, that I was looking for personally. And I didn't even think you were listening, but, um, their kids are getting young people are getting more than you think they are. Um, I think one of the biggest problems surrounding our generation is that we just expect everything to be dumbed down to us. And so when we step up to ministry, we dumb it down as well. They're getting a whole lot more than we think they're getting, even if they're not reacting in the way that we wish they would react. Um, and I, that has, that is a frustrating thing because it's like, man, why didn't you, you know, pray hard that night when we had that devotion, but they're getting more than you think they're getting. Man, that is so good. And I hope that whoever is listening and they're aspiring to ministry or even developing young leaders right now, I want them to go back just a few minutes there because there's so much value. And if you really think about that, that's something that's going to carry you on through, through many years and experience in, in the ministry and letting off some of that pressure and expectations afterwards, you know, and um, I, I think that is so profound. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things about youth ministry, it, it's very taxing. It, it's very demanding. And there's a lot of long hours. There's a lot of sacrifice that goes into it. You know, so how do you balance? You're a family man. You have your hands full. You have your wife. You have your church where you're a student pastor uh, serving faithfully there and tremendously at Victory Worship. But you also have your daughters as well. How do you balance staying healthy spiritually and mentally while still pouring back into others, your church, the district, young people, and even personal friendships? You're always pouring out. How, how do we stay balanced, healthy, spiritually, and mentally there? So this is something that I'm, I'm still really working on. Um, my wife and I got married in 2019. Um, she has two girls from a previous relationship. And so immediately stepping in to not only being a husband for the first time, but being a father of two girls from day one. Um, and then we had our third baby girl in, in, uh, in 2021. Uh, it's been, it's been very interesting for me. It's been very difficult for me rather to find the balance because I used to, I used to work a secular job in construction. I would work from seven to five. I would get off at five managing a warehouse. And then I would go to the church and I would be at the church until 10 PM every night. And it was just, that's just what I wanted to do. I'm not looking for any pat on the back. That's just, that's just what I did because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be there. And then I got, uh, I, I got married and then I went full-time at the church, praise God. And I was able to be there more, but I still felt the desire to be there you know, even more and to do even more, which I think is fine and good and great. But my first calling Immediately on that day in September, September 13th of 2019, when I got married, my first calling shifted to my family. I'm the priest of I'm the priest of the home. I, I'm the leader of this family. Yeah. And that was a difficult transition for me. And there was a lot of times where I I knew that I was withdrawing from my family to pour into church work or vice versa. I was withdrawing from church work to pour into my family. So I'll be honest with you and say that I'm still, I'm still struggling to find the perfect balance. But the way that I don't feel burnt out, and that burnout is such a buzzword, right? right the way right. that I don't feel burnt out is I truly 100%, 100% believe, either we believe the Bible or we don't. I truly 100% believe that as I give gifts to God, offerings to God, time, sacrifice, work, talent to God, he will replenish my energy. He will replenish my mood. He will replenish me. Um, I just, you know, when that little boy gave him the, uh, those, those five loaves and two fishes, he was just giving an offering to God, not expecting anything in return. And then what was returned to him was 12 fold what he gave to him. It was just amazing thing. Either we believe the Bible or we don't. I believe that if we give to God, not working 25 hours a day, but if we give to God everything that we have, we're not going to be burnt out. We're not going to be just, oh my goodness, I'm so stressed out. This is such a hard thing. I just can't do this anymore. How terrible to have to be in ministry. We're not going to have that attitude if we truly believe that this sacrifice that I'm giving of time, of talent, whatever it is, 
God will replenish my energy. God will replenish my mood. God will give back to me what I've given to him. And that has helped me stay, uh, stay balanced in a way of just kind of not tiring out, not burning out. Um, I still need to balance my time. I st- I'm still working on that, of balancing church time and home time. But being able to do it is, is a gift from God because he's giving back to me what I'm giving to him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I can relate to that because that's something that doesn't really go away because it's not something that you can just set in motion and then just walk away, set it and forget it kind of kind of mentality or kind of approach there. But balance with the family and balance with ministry is something it's it's a constant work. It's a constant work and a constant back and forth and learning how to do that. So I'm in the same place myself and I relate to that. And I don't think there's really an end because at any point in time, you can become just overly wrapped up in one or the other. And then all of a sudden you have to pull back or something happens and you realize that, Hey, wait a minute, like something's off here. The rhythm is off. So thank you for sharing that and being very transparent with that. And I I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same position and I'm learning from others as well. So, you know, I, I think it's very inspiring for to hear your story about the mission field, you were exposed to that very, very early. Your family did it for such a long time. So being raised into a missionary family, what was your experience like from your perspective, your point of view, uh, being away from things that the majority at that age would normally get to experience here in the U.S.? What could you tell us about that? So it was all that I really knew. Um, my parents, I'm the youngest of three. So my older sister, my older brother, um, they, they had already been there, done that. Uh, my parents had been doing it for, you know, for more than a decade before I was even born. Uh, and my, at the time when we were in Southern Africa, I had two uncles and a grandfather who was also there in neighboring countries. So it was a family thing. Um, we, um, we, we were a missionary family, not just my immediate family, but, uh, two uncles and, and my grandfather and their families were also there in neighboring countries with us. Um, so it was, it was, it was who I was. I, I, I didn't realize that I was missing anything. I didn't realize that I wasn't getting to experience things. I didn't realize that I wasn't having the same, having the same childhood as, as others. I knew that I was different. I knew that it was special. Um, I certainly knew that I was American. I didn't think that I was a national of the country that we lived in, even though I love that country. I knew that I was American. I knew that that wasn't my home or where my family was from, but I I loved being there. And I didn't even really ponder that I was missing something or that I was not experiencing something that you know other people my age would have would have experienced. It wasn't until we came home or we came back to the states uh, in 2009, 2008. I got very, very sick. Um, the doctors were kind of unable to help me in a way. They were able to get me out of that country into a country that could help me. Um, and, and through that, there were some surviving complications. Like I'm, my left ear is completely deaf. I have some memory issues, different things like that. Uh, so we came back to the States to go to Texas Children's to get further testing and whatnot. And they they um, recommended that we not go back to Africa for for an extended period of time. Uh, in that period of time, my dad retired from missions and we took a church here in Houston. It wasn't until then that I realized that how different my life really was, right? I, I knew I knew things were different. I knew I was living in a different country and having different experiences, but I didn't realize just how different it was. And I honestly don't feel like I missed anything <laughs> other than other than having, you know, these massive Christmas parties with all of my family. I really don't feel like I missed a whole lot. Uh, so my experience and my my memory of it has always been very positive. That's awesome. That's tremendous. You know, and you mentioned coming back into the U.S. a, a little bit abruptly. Aside from the health challenges that you faced there that you just mentioned, assimilation back into the U- U.S., what other challenges did you face or what what was that process like? Kind of just unpacking your life here and starting over, I guess it would say, I would say starting from new. Yeah. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of, um, I was kind of naive to how different I really was. Um, I, I was probably, I was probably what you would consider like a geek. Like I was probably a nerd, right? Uh, <laughs> I didn't really ponder or, or, uh, consider how different I really, really was. 
And um, I had always been homeschooled, right? Because we didn't have access to, you know, to good schools. So I was always homeschooled. Um, we get to the States and we landed in a very good school district. And, and with some of the challenges that I was facing with memory issues and different things, um, they, the doctors recommended that they put me in public school because public school would be more equipped to help me. And I remember my first day of public school, um, I get there and I made a joke that I was, you know, hi, my name's Timothy. It's the middle of the school year. Very awkward. I'm being introduced into a, into a classroom in the middle of school year. And I made a joke, you know, hi, my name's Timothy. I grew up in Africa. So I guess that makes me African-American. And there were some <laughs> kids in my that did not think that was very funny. And oh, they actually man. jumped me in the bathroom and, and attempted to beat me up. Wow. Uh, and I, I fought back and in the end, me and, and Cedric and Aaron, and, and I forget the other guy's name. We actually became friends throughout the rest of our school, uh, throughout the rest of our school career. But uh, there was a massive culture shock of just how different I really was to these kids. They, I hadn't experienced what they'd experienced, but they certainly had not experienced what I experienced. And there was a, uh, there was, there was a lot of challenges assimilating into school culture, into yeah. like school. Um, and there was a lot of challenges assimilating into the American church culture because it's just so vastly different. Yeah. What would, what would be some of the challenges that you saw there within the American church? The worship is very different. And I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to look down my nose at anybody, but the worship is just, is, is very, um, American worship is almost sorrowful. It can be sorrowful. And I think one of the things that the apostolic church gets absolutely right is, is joy in our worship. I mean, like two hour shout services at the end of an incredible message. That's really only unique to apostolic churches. Right. We're really American worship culture is more sorrowful. You know, God, I'm broken, you know, bless me. I'm, you know, I'm hurting, but you're a healer, you know, and incredible declarative songs like Waymaker, you, you make a way, you're a miracle worker, but it's kind of all from a place of sorrow of we need help from a God who was a helper, which is true. And that's amazing. But what I saw growing up in Africa was just a deep joy and desperation for God, because, you know, I'm so happy that I'm even alive today. Literally, I'm so happy that I'm even here today. And, and, and there's just a deeper joy that I immediately saw when I came over to the States as a 12 year old. Uh, there's so much more joy in worship in Africa than there was here in the States. Mm, yeah, that's very interesting. That's fascinating. You know, take us back to Africa for a moment here. What What is something that impacted you the most from your experience? Maybe you could talk about some of the miracles that you saw, some of the God movements that you saw there. Uh, what impacted you the most? There was a children's revival when I was 10, maybe 11 years old, we hosted a children's revival in a new country. We had not yet been in this country, had not yet um, hosted any kind of event in this country. But one of the first things that we did when we got to this country, Malawi, was to host a children's revival. And we kind of spread the word as far as we could to all of the, to all of the churches. And if you look at a map uh, on Southeast Africa, you'll find Malawi. And it's kind of a long, slender nation. Um, certainly not as long as Chile or or even as long as California, but it's kind of that shape, this really long, slender nation. And, uh, you know, we were kind of on the, on the southern end of this nation, and there were a lot of churches on the northern end and, and, and in the middle. So we spread the word as far as we could, and we were kind of worried because we didn't hear back from a lot of people. We only heard back from some of the southern southern region churches. And we were kind of worried that there wouldn't be a lot of people there that showed up. So we kind of planned for, I forget what we planned for, I think 250, 300 kids to come to this children's revival, this children's conference. And there ended up being just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids that come. And, and we would talk to them and there would be stories of, you know, we walked from this village and it took us four days to walk here. Or, you know, we all we all pooled our money together and, you know, essentially emptied our life savings to get a bus so that our, our Sunday school class of 12 could, could ride a bus from this, from this uh, town that was six hours away. So it didn't take us five days to walk here. And we had all these stories. It was this incredible thing. But I remember all of the, I'm 10 years old at this time. I remember all the adults are like frantically like 
oh my goodness, we don't have enough beds for all of these kids. We don't have enough food for all of these kids. We don't have enough goodie bags and, and, you know, toys and, and giveaways for all these kids. What are we going to do? And there was this, like, there was kind of this like, oh, this is amazing. This is a miracle, but wow, what are we going to do with all these kids? And I just kind of had this like naive and, and cheerful confidence that, you know, God is going to do something amazing. And I kind of, kind of asked, you know, Hey, can I, can I testify? Can I kind of give a, can I give a testimony? And, you know, my parents were gracious enough to say, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds great. So they, they allowed me a few moments to testify before, before a service even started. And I just kind of gave a quick testimony through the use of a translator. And I just said, Hey, listen, kids, you know, they are, the adults here are frantically searching for beds and food and giveaways and toys and things to be able to give you. And they were they were so nervous that there were so many of you that showed up. But I'm excited because the more of you that are here means the more of you that can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that kind of that kind of sparked something. And that night, the first night of the conference, there was more than 350 kids received the gift of the Holy Ghost right there that night. And that not not anything that I did. I'm, I'm not I'm not saying that it was me that allowed that to happen. But that impacted me the most of having the realization that. Man, the more that are willing to hear, the more that are able to receive the gift from God. And that is that is impacts my ministry even to this day. Yeah, that's tremendous. You know, the basic understanding I think of most missionary families is just very surface level, unless you really have access to a family that spends a lot of time there and you get to hear the testimonies and you get to have conversations like this. And I, that's why it was very important for, for me to get you on and to expose your, your story, your perspective, um, you know, to our listeners, because it, it's very, very uh, interesting. And I'm very fascinated by it, the way that God uses people in so many different ways. But for surface level or just kind of a generalization, you know, it's understood that missionary families, they go to a, a rural country, plant churches, and the mission is to reach others. So is it an accurate or, or is it an accuracy or a misconception that missionary kids have an extra burden placed on them to serve and carry out the mission? Some of some of them do. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot of missionary kids that feel feel the weight of that feel the price of that, but not the privilege of that. Um, and that price and privilege is, is something that, I, that I'll talk about in a minute where I got that. But sure. there's, there's missionary kids that feel the price, feel the burden, but not the privilege, not the you know, incredibleness of what they're doing. Um, and it can be very, very heavy. I know that there were times where um, we were going through just, just turmoil, just internal turmoil in the, uh, in the national work in one of the countries that we were in. And I felt that even though at seven years old, I could never understand what my dad was going through and the, the betrayal and the lies and the things that he was fighting every day from, from men and women that were supposed to be on his side there. I, I felt the weight of that, but never, ne never could really understand that. And there's a lot of missionary kids that unfortunately have and will walk away from God because we feel the weight of it so heavily. And there's such a helplessness of being 13, 14 years old in a country where you feel like you just can't do enough to help your parents. Um, I'm thankful that my parents were able to allow me to come into ministry at a young age, but kind of shield me from some of those burdens to where I knew that something was happening. But because I couldn't fully understand it, I was able to just trust God. Yeah, that is so good. And that's something that I think a lot of people really don't wouldn't be able to grasp unless they share a conversation personally with you or with someone's experience. So when you look at your ministry here in the U.S. versus the time that you spent in Africa and what you saw there in South Africa. So life as a PK versus an, an MK. What would you say is either similar or is there just a vast difference aside from obviously the, the, the main things that stand out to us, you know, obviously you're in a different country, every, you know, the resources are, are scarce, everything is different, but from the pressure and expectations point of view from an MK and a PK, is there similarities or is the pressure and the, ex the expectations vastly different? 
I think there's a lot of similarities um, between being a preacher's kid, pastor's kid, and a missionary's kid. There's a lot of similarities. We feel the weight of what our parents are going through. We feel the burden that our parents have that originally prompted them to be a missionary or to be a pastor. Um, I feel like the the differences would be there's a lot of more resources in the States for preacher's kids. But I remember I did, certainly, when I was 15, 16 years old. We tend to isolate ourselves even more, whereas there's very few resources for missionary kids, especially if they're in you know developing countries. But we yearn for community, or, or missionary kid, we yearn for community even more. Like the missionary kid family is such a tight-knit, close family, whereas the preacher's kid family here in Houston, I don't think is is very close. I don't think preacher's kids are going out together to get coffee uh, or going out, you know, hanging out together at youth camp. And I, I think that's that's really sad. Um, I think that that's really unnecessary. I think we're the only ones who feel the pressures that we feel. So let's help each other out. And I think the similarities is that we do feel that pressure. But the difference is uh, when I was a missionary kid, I wanted community with other missionary kids. Uh, but what I saw as a preacher's kid, as a pastor's kid here in Houston at you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, was that there really wasn't a pastor's kid community. It really just didn't. It, it really didn't exist, and I think that's. I think it's actually kind of sad. Yeah, yeah, I love that thought, and and you're so right. And there's there's something about the unity and about community, especially whenever you're doing ministry in the same form. And there's so much life that could be given, and and there's so much energy and and encouragement that can be given, and just being able to have someone to rely on and to have someone to just discuss certain things that you wouldn't disclose normally in, in, in public and, and to sh- have that trust. So you mentioned your parents going through betrayal and going through some very difficult seasons. And that, that comes with the territory, even at, as a pastor, wherever it is that you're leading in, in just leadership in general, there's always difficult seasons. What would you say helped you embrace the mission? What kept you going? during those hard times and during those hard seasons that say, Hey, you know what, if it hadn't been for this, I probably would have given up or would have quit. I don't know. What's your perspective on that? That I wish that I had this just overly spiritual answer for that, but I get that from my dad, my dad, uh, seeing him in that season when we were, uh, when we were in Zimbabwe, when I was seven years old, we went through a season where, um, there was just a lot of betrayal, a lot of lies. We actually ended up having having the national police or which would be more like the military knock on our door and tell us you've got 24 hours to get out of the country or we're throwing you all in jail um and that was as a result of lies that were being spread about my dad that he's not a missionary he's a spy from the united states right which is obviously silly Uh, but those kind of lies were being spread about him so that we would be pushed out or kicked out of this uh pushed out of this country and i saw something in him that was the mission just doesn't change, right? The, the, my, my willingness to see the mission through just doesn't change, no matter the challenges that I face. Now, if it's not safe, I'm going to do whatever I can do to keep my family safe. And we ended up actually moving to a different country, but still making trips into Zimbabwe because the mission didn't change. We got out of this dangerous situation, but the mission never changed and in my ministry today, I'm not facing near the kind of dangers or pressures that we faced when we were when we were missionaries. But in my ministry today, it's the ministry, the, the mission, I'm sorry, just doesn't change. Right. And my commitment to the mission shouldn't change because no matter how much I betray God, no matter how much I hated God or how much I you know, wanted to get away from God or or at times didn't even believe God was real and really loved me. No matter the times that I ran from him and from his will, his mission never changed in my life. His mission was always that no one should perish, but that all could come to repentance. His mission was always Matthew 121, she'll bring forth the son, call his name Jesus, he'll save his people from their sins. That was always the mission, no matter how far humanity tried to get away from that. And that, 
um, just seeing my dad's just kind of bulldog mentality of I'm not letting go. This, this is where I am. This is what I'm doing. Um, combined with the amazing grace of God. Um, I think that, that should push us through difficult seasons in ministry where it seems like everything's kind of falling down is, is, Hey, God's mission never changed. We, we shouldn't let our commitment to the mission change as well. Man, I love that. And just for you to have the opportunity to see your parents fight through those difficult seasons and those difficult times, I'm sure that characteristic, you know, just simply embolds or embodies your, your natural character. And, and it bleeds over into how you carry out through life, because whether it's missionary difficulties or just general life, even here in the U.S., difficulties that we face, and I would never dare compare the two. But just that having that mentality of never giving up and just facing whatever it is that's coming at you, it, it has to bleed over into your normal life, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. There are things that I'm silly things, non-spiritual things that I am very um, unwavering on <laughs> to a to a frustrating fault sometimes. And um, that's just because that's how I was raised. That's what I saw. Yeah. Yeah, that's tremendous. I love that. When did you, or when would you say, because you came over to the U.S. about 12 years old, and mm -hmm. when would you say that you adopted completely the mission as your own and, and set foot to that? When we were in Africa, I always felt it, right? I always felt the call of God in my life, even though, like I said, I never had that moment at an altar where I felt the audible voice of God. I always felt that this wasn't just me watching my parents in, mission, in, in ministry. It was me joining them in ministry in some way. And then uh, we moved to Houston in 2009 or 2008. And it wasn't until, man, it wasn't until I was probably 17 or 18 that I really began to see. I was 12 when we came. It wasn't until I was 17 or 18 that I really began to feel that the mission for Houston was on my life as well. And I ran from that completely and made some horrible, horrible, life-changing decisions that I still have to face to this day completely. And I wasn't, I, it wasn't until I was 21 or 22 that I really accepted the mission as my own. Um, I always felt the call. I always felt the burden, but I spent years running from that and not wanting to accept it as mine. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sorrowful for those times, but I know that all things work together for good. Even things that are not good will work together for good. Um, so I know that God was, was shaping me and molding me into the man and the minister that he wanted me to be. But I wish that I would have, at the very first sign, at the very first feeling of, of having this mission inside of me, I wish that I would have just you know sold out completely and just went all for it. Um, but nevertheless, God is good. And, and here I am today and I am sold out and, and all about the mission today. Yeah, absolutely. And you can tell that, you know, you were with us not too long ago from, from here at the worship night and the way that you preach with such fervent and just passion and you, and the way that you see the young people, it, it really says a lot about your ministry. It says a lot about your character and your heart for the ministry. And I can tell just simply by being around you for or that night, and that was the first night that we had met, and it was a tremendous privilege. But just being around you, you can feel that. You can feel the passion, and you're you're just ready to face anything, and and defend the faith, and and stand up for the mission. And I think your testimony, and thank you for being honest, by the way, and very transparent with that, because I think your testimony is going to speak to so many people and to so many people's lives, because the expectation. Is, is very high. And I, I know I've been a lot of, around a lot of PKs. The expectation is high. The pressure is high. So dealing with that part of it is, is also a difficult one. And not everybody handles it in, in an appropriate way, or maybe not everybody is very open about that. So thank you for being honest and thank you for being very transparent. And that, that's a tremendous testimony. So yeah, absolutely. from your experience in South Africa and the mission field, some of the things that you saw in leadership, what would you say flows over into your leadership today that was influenced by the mission field? Things that I, things that I saw in Africa that flow over into the way that I do ministry here today is, well, first of all, we are, we went from 
we went from Southern Africa to Houston, which is Houston is is I think it's now officially and statistically the most diverse city in the United States, like even more than New York or L.A. There are so many more uh, people groups and races and ethnicities and languages and cultures in Houston, um, even than there were in Southern Africa where I was. There was, you know, there there were multiple tribes and multiple languages and multiple cultures. Of course, I'm, I'm not trying to diminish the diversity that was there, but in Houston, I think it's even more so. I think there's even more uh, cultures and languages and, and races and, and food is everywhere and, and ethnicities and and ways of thinking and ways of being. Um, and that, my being open to changing the method, changing the, the, the way that we do things for the common goal of reaching somebody, that has carried over and I think has, has made Victory Worship Center a successful church and I, I think is molding me into a minister that can be successful is, yeah, we may have to change some of the methods. It may work better for this group of people to minister in this way, or it may work better for, better for this age group to minister in this way. But the message is always the same. The, the point, the mission is always the same. And that's, that's Jesus is real. He really loves you. He died for you and he wants a relationship with you. That's, that's, that's the that's the reality. That's the point. That's the mission. And the way that I get there may be different in different contexts, but the mission, the, me- the, the message never changes. And that's something that I really got from the mission field. That's something that I really got from Southern Africa was, you know, we did church differently in the city than we did in the village. And we did church differently for young people than we did for elder people. But we come to Houston and really nothing changes. We do church differently here than we would there, and we do church differently for this age group than we would for this age group, but the mission is the same. The message is the same. What I'm trying to get across is is the same. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing that I adapted from the mission field. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'm fascinated by that. And one of the things that I that I think about and I reflect on after being around so many different PKs, you know, just throughout ministry and throughout life different PKs suffer through different type of church hurt or maybe even just young people in general. You could open that up and generalize that. But church hurt in the U.S. would you say looks different maybe from a missionary's point of view or what does church hurt look like for an MK? Yeah, church hurt in the U.S. looks looks very difficult to me, uh, different to me, I'm sorry. And it was something that as a younger as a younger minister and even as a as a teenager, I was very cynical of and skeptical of like church hurt. That's that's silly. What are you even talking about? Uh, because what it looked like for me as an MK was the police, the military showing up at my door, telling us that we had 24 hours to leave the country. That's what church hurt looked like, because that decision was made by people in the church, people that my dad was working with, you know, lying, betraying, betraying us. And you know, literally trying to kick us out of the country any way that they can so that they could run the church the way that they wanted to run the church. That's what church hurt looked like for me. And I'm sure there are missionary kids that have even more, you know, traumatic and dramatic stories of what happened to them. So coming over to the States as a, you know, as a 12, 13 year old growing up, going to youth camps and and talking to pastors' kids and 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 talking to other people and seeing friends and people that have walked away from the church because of church hurt here in the states uh, I have to I have to apologize I have to repent that I was even very cynical and skeptical towards that because man what it looked like for me was <clears throat> excuse me was being kicked out of the home in the country that I loved what it looks like for you is someone was mean to you right and I was very I was very cynical and skeptical of that but as I as I grow and as I see now, I think it's very important that we first we have to offer love. We may we can even believe that sometimes leaving the church is a is a is an unthinkable thing for us. Leaving that church, okay, fine. If there was a situation where there where there was someone in leadership that was verbally abusive to you or spiritually abusive to you or, or, or God forbid, physically abusive to you, then yeah, maybe you need to remove yourself from that local church, those four walls. But what what we have to do better at as ministers is allowing someone to still remain in the church, allowing someone to still feel welcome in the church. Maybe that local church, there was a minister or there was someone who was 
spiritually, verbally, or physically abusive to you, but in the church, in God's church, God is still good. God still loves you. We have got to do better, and I, I've got to do better. We have to do better at inviting some some of those people in, not necessarily trying to take someone else's saint. That's not what I'm saying, but inviting them in back to the church, into God's presence, into God's love. Um, I'm just I'm just sick and tired of losing people, good people, people that have futures, people that have ministries, callings, amazing things that God wants for them, and and because of a sinful person that sinned against them in a church, they are now mad and hurt by the church. Um, I, I'm just so tired of that, and I, I just want to see a change. And I think that change starts with inviting people back into the presence of God, inviting people back into the love of God. Hey, God didn't hurt you. This sinful person hurt you. Hurt you. Yeah. What more could you say to someone that is probably dealing with in the church trying to encourage or motivate or reach out to either maybe a family member or a friend that not only left the four walls, but left the church because of church hurt. Yeah, man. If, if someone has left the church, if someone has left the presence of God, if someone has no interest in, in interest in attending any church, my advice may be controversially and, and speak to your pastor about this. Don't do anything that your pastor wouldn't want you to do. But my advice personally would be, Stop inviting them to services and start inviting them to dinner. Stop inviting them to youth rallies and just start inviting them over to your house. And when you get them to a coffee shop, when you get them over to your house or to dinner, don't immediately pull out into his marvelous light the old uh, the old Bible study. Don't immediately pull out you know a track and a and a printed out PDF for them to follow and fill in the notes. Just have a real open, honest conversation with them. Be able and it's. And we can get defensive, especially ministers. We get defensive when people start talking about church hurt because we want to defend the church where God's church does not need defending. God is open to any question because he is the answer to all questions. Just be able to have an open and honest conversation with them about the church hurt if they're willing to have that conversation. But then with everything, just enforce, I love you. God loves you. I'm sorry that a sinful person sinned against you. I love you. God loves you. I'm sorry that a sinful person sinned against you. That would be my advice for someone who's trying to get a family member or a friend back into church. Man, that is so good. Thank you for sharing that. That's going to bring life to so many people. And I know it's going to be such a blessing. And here, and just before I, I let you go, there's a couple more questions that, that I want to ask you and run by you. What could you tell us about life in the mission field that normally no one would know unless you told them? Uh, holidays look very different depending on where you are. So we were in a, we were in a developing country. Um, you know, there wasn't, and now that we're at the holiday season, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this as we record this podcast. Um, there wasn't, you know, a mall to go to, to buy all the toys that 10 year old Timothy wanted. My parents made an incredible effort to make every Christmas, every holiday, every birthday, very, very special to us in different ways. I think something that, that the American church doesn't really see that is vastly different than here uh, with our missionaries is the everyday little family things. Um, parents have to go through, have to have to very carefully go through a process of trying to make it feel normal or better for, for their family. Uh, I think we see the differences in the church. I think we see how church services are different and how, how, you know, there's such an incredible difference between the way that we do church and the way that they do church on the mission field. But something I don't think most people see is how different our everyday life is, is how different holidays are, is how different birthdays are, is how different uh, just, just an everyday life is for us. And I kind of wish that, that more people could see just how different it really is. Uh, but at the same time, there's almost kind of a uh, arrogant in arrogance in the mystery of that, where it's you know I know something that you don't know, and uh, I I kind of liked that when I was a missionary kid, and <laughs> I think uh, I think a lot of missionary kids I kind of like that as well. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I love to hear young people that are, are passionate about ministry, but there's something special when somebody comes up and says, you know what, I have. I have a, a a passion and a burden, or I have the curiosity for seeking out the mission field or seeking out being a blessing in another country. All of a sudden, I think just something lightens up and curiosity sparks up inside of me that I want to ask so many questions to that person. 
And and I, and on, a, on another way, I, I love that. I love that God is calling people and young people now still to this day to the mission field. So what advice would you give to someone answering that call or looking forward to answering the call and seeking to enter the mission field? My advice would be to go on, go on a mission strip, um, you know, connect with, connect with a missionary or connect with um, an organization that does mission strips into the area of the world that you're trying to go to, or even, even just, just anywhere, just get outside of, of the four walls of your church, certainly, but even your city, your state, your country, uh, get outside of that and just kind of explore the world literally, physically. Go, go to another place. Go to another country. Experience church in a different way. And I think that is going to confirm or deny the calling that you think you have um, in a big way. And another thing is immediately, once you feel the call to missions, once you feel the call to uh, you know, to going somewhere else, to, to going on the mission field, is immediately begin to give to missions um, of of your time and uh, and of your finances. Immediately begin to give to missions because God is calling people who are willing to give, who are willing to give of themselves, who is willing to give of their finances, who is willing to give of of their of their talents and their ministry. Once you feel that call of God on your life, yes, you've got to have conversations with pastors. Yes, you have to have conversations with family and friends and and with trusted spiritual advisors. But when you feel that call of God, ramp up your giving towards missions and find a way to get yourself on a missions trip. Find yourself a way to get to a different country or to a different region of the world to uh, to literally just experience something different. And I think that's really going to confirm or deny what the feeling and the calling that you have. Man, I love that. That is so profound. I've found that our conversation here today has been so inspiring and very life-giving. And I know it's going to be a blessing to so many people. And actually, this is the first time that we talk about missionary or the mission field on this podcast. So it's very special. You're the first guest that we have talking about the topic. Awesome. So talk to us about Victory Worship going into 23 and or the district. What events do you have going on? What um, what is coming up? What do the young people have to look forward to? We have got a lot of stuff going on at the local church. Um, we're going to be doing some some really cool stuff. We're finalizing some of that as we go. So um, you can you can follow me on social media if you like or, or or whatever, and you'll see a lot of that. But for South Texas youth, I'm extremely blessed to be able to work with South Texas youth. Um, I work right now as the youth secretary. We've got a lot of stuff coming up in 23 that I think is going to be awesome. And February 17, uh, 2023, obviously, is going to be our opening rally of the year at Greater Life Church. So that's February 17th. You want to go ahead and put that on your calendar. That is going to be an incredible thing. We've got HYC, Holiday Youth Convention, coming up on April the 6th and the 7th. That is going to be incredible. Um, I know who the speaker and who the worship leader is for both of those events. And I'm telling you, it's going to be incredible. I can't I can't disclose it just yet, but I know who they are and it's going to be just absolutely bonkers. It's going to be wild. That's awesome. That We're looking forward to that. And thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being gracious with your time and being very open and transparent and honest. And one last thing, one of the things that are, is very, very important to this podcast, and I think the the listeners to this platform as well as resources what what resources could you share either music books podcasts what helps you and can help others something that i was challenged to do and kind of almost convicted to do um several months ago was to remove some of our media entertainment subscriptions you know netflix hulu whatever it is to remove some of those and to subscribe to something called Discipleship Now, which is the United Pentecostal Church's media platform, basically. And it's it's priced at the same point as it's even a little bit cheaper as Netflix, Hulu, Disney, whatever it is. Um, so I was kind of challenged to remove some of those and to subscribe to Discipleship Now. There's incredible video uh, devotion, incredible original sisters, preachers, and leaders. Uh, there's incredible resources for all sorts of areas of ministry. I was really, really excited to do that. And I, I love doing that. So part of my part of my personal devotion time is is with that, some of the things that are on discipleship now. Uh, but a podcast that is really, really great 
for for my family is the Dear Young Married podcast. That is incredible. There's a lot of incredible resources on that. Um, and then a book that I've really been diving into, and it's kind of an older book, but I've really been diving into and it's kind of sprouting some other things is a book called Life Preaching by Jonathan McClintock. That is that is a really excellent book right now. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm going to put some of the links in the description where people could find that. Bro, where can people find you on social media? I'm on Instagram at TC Simino. So T-C-S-I-M-O-N-E-A-U-X, uh, Facebook, Timothy Simino. Uh, that's, that's pretty much the two that I stick to right now. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that. I'm going to link to that discipleship now and your social media platforms in the description where people can find you. They can connect with you personally and connect with Victory Worship Center here in Houston, Texas. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Some of the things that we had planned to get to, we didn't even get to because our conversation was so profound into the mission field. And I love that. It turns out that that's some of the best conversations and some of the most valuable conversations. Thank you for taking the time having the passion and the burden for young people and for doing what you do as a student pastor and, and reaching out to others and inspiring others the way that you do. And awesome. I, I love it. This has been an awesome conversation. I hope that this, that this touches and blesses a lot of people. Thank you so much. Thank you for being part of our conversation today in the description below. You will find links where you can connect with Timothy Simino. If you enjoyed today's podcast, go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. Also, if you would like to contribute in helping us reach others, I invite you to do so simply by leaving a good rating on your favorite platform. Feel free to leave a review or even share it on social media. And that would mean so much to me. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you. In the description below, you will find links where we can connect. Let me know how this was helpful to you. Also, you can visit my blog page where you can find more helpful content like this, inspired2inspired.org. That's inspired, the number two, inspired.org. For now, continue moving forward in the direction God is leading you. Continue taking steps closer and becoming who God has intended you to be so you can be impactful in every area of your life. God bless, and we'll see you on the next one.